You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the General Admission Podcast, which features a weekly in-depth conversation with a Chicago Cubs-related personality. We are your hosts. I'm Len Casper alongside Jim Deshays. You may know us as the Cubs television tandem. Hey, J.D., how are you? I'm well, Len. Um, I thought as you started the intro, I should have started to hum some theme music for us, but we'll have to put that together as we go forward. Yeah, that would be... I'm doing great. (laughs) How are you? Doing fine. You know, just an interesting time, certainly in our country's history, and uh, I hope uh, all the Deshays are are healthy and staying safe? Uh, we are indeed um, kind of in, in off-season mode, um, going for walks, uh, watching a, a decent amount of television, a decent amount of bad television, a little reading, and uh, my wife has been cooking up a storm, so that's been good. How about the Caspers? Everybody good at your house? Yeah, we're, we're here. Uh, our son Leo is a freshman at Illinois, and he's finishing up uh, his semester online. And... Uh, yeah, everybody's uh, safe and sound as we uh, knock on wood. Well, this will be a lot of fun. This is a, a brainchild of the Cubs, and uh, we have been given pretty much total freedom here to have some laughs, find out some really uh, interesting and likely never-before-divulged things about some Cubs personalities you know and love. And our first-ever guest on the General Admission Podcast is John Lester, I think a fitting first guest for this show. He's 36 years old. He is in his sixth and final year of one of the best contracts the Cubs have ever negotiated with a free agent, five-time All-Star, three-time World Series winner. He overcame a battle with cancer early in his career to become one of the most reliable aces in the game, an opening day starter eight times, including four with the Chicago Cubs. J.D., he's pretty much accomplished everything you can uh, achieve at this level as a big league starter. Yeah, it's been a remarkable career, uh, marked by consistency, durability. Just about every year he's been um, uh, above average, if not well above average, uh, you know, just in terms of his workload, the quality of work he gives you. Uh, you know, it was obviously an outstanding acquisition uh, by the Cubs, and he's just, uh, you know, one of our favorite left-handers. He's a real uh, thoughtful guy and such a great competitor. Every time it's John Lester's turn to pitch, uh, I get excited to watch him go out there and fight. Well, without further delay, let's get to our conversation with Cubs left-hander John Lester. Enjoy. John, uh, first off, uh, how are you and Farah and the kids holding up during this pretty unprecedented time? Everybody okay? Yeah, I mean, everybody's good. Everybody's healthy, um, which I guess is the main thing. So uh, we're, we're doing the whole quarantine up as best we can and um you know i mean that's that's really it trying to get workouts in and stay somewhat ready as best i can to uh to hopefully get to another season going what might you envision your routine once we get hopefully a start date have you kind of looked ahead and thought okay well, here's what i need to do for the three or four weeks before a potential opening day no, I, I really haven't. Um, I think because we don't have a date, you know, I think when 
when and if, you know, hopefully we, we get a date, I think then I can kind of gauge what I need to do. You know, um, the throwing aspect for me is, it's what's kind of the tricky part. Um, the, the workouts and, and staying, staying physically ready, that stuff's relatively normal. And, you know, it's just kind of like a normal off season for that. But I think the hard part, at least for me being older and I don't want to be throwing bullpens and wasting bullets and having, you know, kind of be fatigued by the time I get there, I want to be kind of building like I would for a spring training, uh, maybe a little bit further, uh, along than that, just based on, I, I know it's going to be a shorter camp. Um, but I, I think just the unknown right now is so hard. You know, I think if, if Rossi or, or Theo or whoever calls and says, Hey, Arizona, you know, May 25th or May 30th or June 1st, whatever it is, then it's kind of like, okay, now I can go. Now I, I can ramp up and, and get going. Um, but until that date, it, it for uh, like I said, at least for me, just being on the, the on the other side of of you know I guess the youth of baseball, um, it's been a little tricky to to figure this all out. So uh, John, and just in terms of readiness, then uh, say you do get the word that you know May twenty fifth you're heading to Arizona. How much time from that point forward w- would you guess you would need uh, to be ready to go? Well, I mean, I guess uh, I mean we we really, we really don't have a choice as far as you know, how much time we'll, we'll have to be ready. I think from what I've been hearing, it's, you know, going to be, uh, anywhere from a, from an 18 to 21, 23 ish, uh, day spring training. So, you know, let's just say for even numbers, it's, it's a, it's a 21 day spring training. Um, you know, you're looking at four starts, maybe, uh, three starts, um, you know, that that's ramping up pretty quick, but, you know, we, we really can't control that. I think, you know, hopefully everybody's smart about this and, and if we get going, um, and we ramp up, you know, we're probably only going to be able to three, four, five innings somewhere in there. So hopefully the rosters are expanded to where we're not killing our bullpen day in and day out and moving guys up and down and, and, and dealing with all that nonsense. So, uh, I think there's still a lot of things in that need to be discussed and kind of in place before we even get ramped up. Yeah. uh, Crazy times. And uh, uh, so in the past, I know you you have not, uh, you've expressed that you're not a big fan of the opener concept. Um, (laughs) Would that, would that change? I mean, if, if, if you, you know, come out of a spring training, you know, a point 2.0 and you feel like you only got three or four innings in you, would you prefer to start the game or would you rather come in, you know, in the second or third inning? Well, I mean, I think for me personally, I would rather start the game just because I've been a starter and I haven't been when you, when you, when you remove yourself from that preparation and that routine of getting ready for a game and starting the game, and then now you're allowing another guy to pitch an inning plus or two innings. And then now you come in for three to five innings, you're, you're, you're changing guys' routines. You're changing guys, you know, whole way they go about a game. Um, I, 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 I mean, with, with the way things are, with, with how things are right now, I mean, I don't think anything's um, not possible. I think everything is possible at this point, uh, and especially with, 
with kind of this weird season we're going to have, um, you know, I think there's, uh, you, you pretty much have to throw everything on the table as a possibility, uh, in, in a regular season it, with no, nothing like this going on. Obviously I don't like the opener, but mm-hmm. in this situation, I think we all kind of have to put our egos aside and, and kind of figure out the best way to approach each and individual game, however long this season may be. Um, you know, if it's a shorter season, you know, 50, 60, 70 games, you know, I think, yeah, you can, you can really mess around with some stuff and, and come up with some different things. But I think if you're, if we're able to get a hundred plus games in, it's kind of more or less a normal season. I don't know how we'd be able to, to really go about that uh, with, with the opener and, and, and that sort of thing. One last thing on this topic, and we'll we'll get into your life and career a little bit more. But um, as you said, it's all about health right now, and and really not about baseball. It's about a lot of bigger things. But I turn fifty next year. You're thirty six. JD's older than both of us, and it really hit, it, it, it really hit me about a month ago, John. I don't want to have a, an entire year of my life that I don't get to call baseball games. Um, have you thought about that at all? And I know it's the last year of your contract, but just the idea of, you know, Adam Wainwright, John Lester, somebody, you know, you guys um, probably aren't going to pitch until you're 48. Uh, how important would it be to you just to to have baseball this year because of where you are in terms of your age and in your career? Yeah. I mean, obviously we're not getting any younger, you know, I mean, if, if we don't play this year, next year you show up, you're, you know, I'm a year older. Um, you know, I guess the benefit would, it would be that you have a year off of wear and tear on your arm, you know, that, that could be a positive. I don't know. Um, but obviously in my situation, yeah, there, there's a lot of uncertainty about next year. Um, you know, with, with, with the option and, uh, you know, what's going on with that. Obviously I would, I would love to be a, a Chicago cub until the end. And, uh, hopefully there's some room, obviously now is not the time to, to, to have these conversations. Um, but yeah, I mean, if we don't play this year, there's still, there, there's a lot of uncertainty for a lot of people. I mean, it, it's not just myself. It's not just Adam Wainwright. I mean, you're, you're looking at kind of like what Mookie Betts is going through, you know, a lot of guys that are going into free agency this year. Um, young guys that, that want to make that, you know, that, that splash and free agency and, and, and kind of get, get taken care of. And, and, and that, that contract that we all, um, you know, kind of strive for. So it's just a weird time. Um, you know, obviously this isn't, this season wasn't going to be the end for me and, and hopefully, uh, regardless of what happens this year, uh, you know, barring injury and all that stuff, but, uh, I, I want to play again next year, and, and hopefully it's with the Chicago Cubs uniform on. John, the various plans have been floated out there in the media. I'm sure you've seen them. You know, there was the Arizona plan initially. Uh, then there was a three-state plan. More recently, we've seen a three-division plan, three ten-team divisions based on geography. Uh, are any of those intriguing to you, or do you like one better than the other? Uh, I think they're all intriguing. You know, I think any time – we, we start talking about playing uh, all those scenarios are intriguing to me. Obviously the, the Arizona one uh, we all know how Arizona is in, in July, August and September. And that would be, you know, if we're playing baseball, we're playing baseball, but it's 120 degrees. Um, you know, I, I, the division one, the three division one looked pretty, looked pretty cool. You know, I mean, you would be playing some different teams a lot more. 
which is which is interesting. That's interesting for the fans. You'd have the White Sox and us playing each other a lot. Um, so you you know, I think when when you do something like that, you're adding even more interest in the game. You know, people are always looking for ways to you know to keep you know, the so-called millennial, I guess, is interest in what's going on and and with all this stuff going on, everybody's interest is going to be in whatever sport can get going first. Um, but I think ours gets going and then you add the interest of these, these kind of crazy divisions. Uh, I think, you know, you've got, you got people diving in and you know what, you never know. Maybe, maybe you you find something that works and, and ends up kind of changing the way baseball works a little bit. And maybe these divisions change a little bit going forward. I don't know. Um, but uh, yeah, the three division one for me kind of seemed the most, uh, I guess, normal. Let's say for for a season. Mm-hmm. We can circle back to this uh, a little later, but I I want to get into your your upbringing a little bit. Uh, you're from uh, Washington State, Seattle area, Puyallup. Would would you call that your hometown? Yeah, I mean that's my hometown. Yes, born and born and raised there. Uh, the sports you were interested in. Baseball, obviously, on the list. Uh, football, soccer, basketball. What what were the sports that you really liked to play? Uh, th- those four. I didn't play football till I got to high school. Uh, I, I, I was big into soccer growing up. That was it, baseball and soccer. I started at the same time and uh, just kind of played them throughout my life. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed playing soccer. Uh, my, my favorite out of all of them was basketball. To be honest with you. Um, you know, I, I started playing that in sixth, fifth, sixth grade, and that one that one was always always the most fun for me. I, I loved playing basketball. I loved the fast pace. I loved the up and down. Uh, I felt like I was halfway decent at it. Um, I played two years of that in, in high school. Uh, I couldn't play my sophomore year. I, I tore my knee up playing football, which ended my football uh, career, and then play, I played basketball my junior year. So I played baseball for basketball twice and then football twice so um soccer got put on the back burner because because baseball and soccer for for the guys in my high school were the same time so obviously I wasn't going to take soccer over baseball how, how tall were you in high school had you already gotten up over I six was, feet because you know, you're not a typical soccer player in terms of your height yeah well you, you, you got to remember Len I, back back in the day I was uh, about probably 60 pounds lighter than I am now and uh, could actually move a little bit, so I, I I was tall, but I could I could move and uh, was was fairly athletic um, back then. But uh, I was I was like six two ish when I got to high school, and then I finished growing. I think my junior year I ended up being I'm like six three and three quarters. It just they kind of rounded up to six four. I see I see a fifteen to eighteen foot jumper from the baseline, some smooth moves, kind of a shooting forward. Was that was that your game? Yeah, I, w- I was. Uh, I, I I hate having my back to the to the basket, but I played kind of that swing, that three four position. Um, you know, I I was terrible at defense. I was a cherry picker. Uh, so our school was known for man to man for the longest time, and then when I got to to varsity my junior year, we ended up changing to a one three one zone defense because I just I was terrible at man to man. So uh, I played the point uh, up top on on uh, on the zone and would just go for steals and and uh was a terrible rebounder but you know i i knew my strengths and, and i i kind of stuck to those and um you know I, like i said it was it was fun it was probably my favorite 
It's interesting that you played multiple sports. Not everybody does that these days. Do you think it was important for you to to do things other than baseball, even though that became your calling? Oh, yeah, 100%. Because I I remember my senior year, um, I, I... I played, I usually, so my junior year, uh, I played an intramural, I think it was intramural volleyball going into basketball and had a blast. And then my senior year, you know, obviously you start hearing all the stuff about draft and college and all this stuff. And, um, I did, I wanted to do the same thing. So I, I did, I did that. And then basketball, you know, we started having these, these, uh, volunteer workouts and I started doing those and it gets like a week before, uh, tryouts are supposed to start and you know I'm all fired up and I told the coach that I was playing and uh we we get down to a couple days before tryouts and you know I have to have a sit down chat with with my dad and um you know just some some other people with kind of advising me to to not play basketball my senior year just because I'd already been hurt and you know that was tough for me because it 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 prolonged kind of my off season so I didn't know what to do for the next however many months until we got to baseball season. So all I did was play baseball. I pitched and threw and, you know, did all the stuff, stuff that I've never done before. And we get into the season and I have like two or three really good starts. And then I go through like a just straight dead arm period because I had thrown so much the prior months that I was kind of like fatiguing out almost. Um, So it kind of hurt me a little, it hurt me in the long run. And so that's why I always tell kids, man, like, if you enjoy sports, if you enjoy other sports, play them because it's only going to make you a better athlete. You know, you're not continuously doing the same motion, the same direction your entire life. You know, you have to have some balance. Um, you know, basketball is going to help you. It's going to help your endurance. It's going to help your athletic ability. Football, the same thing. Soccer, same thing. So I think what we've, as a society, we've kind of come to is, these coaches believe that a nine and 10 year old has a chance at making a college team at nine or 10 years old. And that's not the case. You know, we, we, we have to allow our nine and 10 year olds to be nine and 10 year olds and grow up and figure out what they like and the specialization and these kids playing, you know, I, I've, I've met some kids around here, especially down here in the South, man, like in Atlanta, these kids are, are nuts about baseball and, they're playing 80, 90, 100 game seasons at 10 years old. You know, I played 20 high school baseball games and then probably 60 summer summer ball games when I was a kid. Obviously, Washington wouldn't allow you to play more games, but that's even with some travel tournaments. And I just feel like if I would have played that 100 game season as a as a 10, 11, 12 year old, I probably wouldn't have wanted to pursue baseball that much you know going forward it just might have burnt me out I don't know but I just feel like kids now are burnt out they're getting hurt earlier um you know I didn't know what Tommy John was until I got to pro ball um you know let alone any of these other arm injuries that that you've got 12 year olds getting Tommy John now so it's just crazy I, I I feel like just let kids be kids and um you know scouts from colleges and and Pro scouts, if, if you're good enough, they'll find you. Uh, if they found me at the little Catholic or Jesuit high school I went to, then they'll find they'll find anybody. So, John, it sounds like you spent a lot of time with a, a ball in your hand or a ball on your foot or a ball somewhere when you weren't um, 
pursuing athletics. What, what, what else was young John Lester up to? Were you playing clarinet in the band as well? Or what, what else were you into back in the day? Uh, I did. I did as a kid early on. I did. I did buy into the saxophone uh, in the band that lasted all of about four or five months. And then that, that got put up. Um, music is not, music is like, uh, is like kryptonite to me. I run from, from trying to play. I tried to pick up a guitar a few times and play and it just never works out. Um, but no, it was, it was mainly sports. Uh, JD was mainly sports and, um, uh, you know, I, I love to fish. I grew up fishing. So anytime that we had summers that, that there's summer days that, that I didn't have to have practice or, or a game or whatnot, me and my, my family, we'd go fishing. Um, but that's it outdoors, riding bikes, being a kid, you know, I mean, I lived on a cul-de-sac, which was awesome, uh, for me. And, and I had some kids on my, my block that we'd go play home run derby or we'd play, you know, three on three or, you know, ride bikes up and down the street or, you know, whatever it was, we were, we were outside all the time. So you grew up in the Northwest. You uh, started your big league career in the Northeast. You live in the Southeast, <laughs> yeah. and you've spent the last six years in the Midwest. So you have a really, I think, good perspective on just what people are like in different parts of the country. Could you, I guess, articulate what the what the vibe is for someone from the Northwest and how you had to adjust i would imagine the biggest adjustment was was boston uh, and we'll talk about your career as a red sox later but um it's different in different places right in terms of just how people treat people yeah 100 percent. you know i mean i think um you know when i was a kid i didn't spend a lot of time in seattle you know i think seattle is kind of more or less now turned into like the hustle and bustle uh kind of northeast feeling uh you know, as far as the traffic and, and people moving in and out of there, uh, it's got kind of more of that free spirited people um, that live up there. Uh, where I'm from was more rural. When I grew up was more rural. Uh, obviously, it's it's grown up now. A lot of the people from Boeing, uh, the Boeing plant that was there moved there. We have a lot of uh, military that used to live there or still live there from uh, McCord Air Force Base. Um, so I, I got that, obviously. Um, like you said, I, I've lived in the Southeast since 2007, you know, the South is the South, man. It's laid back. It's chill. Kind of go at your own pace. Um, you know, out, it's, it's a big outdoors, uh, fishing, hunting, uh, you know, riding in your Jeep, you know, stuff like that. Um, the Northeast, you know, it's the Northeast. I think people pretty much know that it, it's, it's, it's crazy, you know, um, more in your face, more brash, more, um, you know, you definitely know what people think of you up there. Um, you know, and I think the Midwest is kind of a combo of everything. You know, I think, you know, we, 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 we play on the, the slower side, I think of Chicago, you know, you get downtown Chicago, it's the hustle and bustle the you know, kind of that, the big city feeling, but then you've got those good, you know, kind of rooted, Midwestern people that grew up farming, um, you know, the blue collar, uh, working for, for what they got type. And, uh, you know, I, I've been blessed to be able to play and experience different, different parts of this country. Um, and, and really 
kind of break down, you know, United States and, and figure out where I want to live. And, 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 um, you know, I, I think I've, I've learned a lot from the, the few cities I've, I've got to play in. John, you mentioned earlier, um, that you would prefer to finish your career here in Chicago with the Cubs. Uh, have you given any thought to, to going back home to ultimately pitching up in Seattle? No, no, I don't, I don't know. Yeah, no, I just, Maybe, you know, you never know. I don't want to close any doors when it comes to anything. Um, you know, I, I think for me, with the way my career has been, I've, I've been fortunate to play for two very, very, well, really three storied franchises. You know, Oakland has, has a lot of history there uh, as well and some championships there. Um, but for, you know, obviously I'm a lot of people forget that I went there for two months, but I think you know, for me, it, it, it needs to be, I, I, I would really like to just stay here and, and, and finish it out and not have, you know, any more change and, um, you know, really just kind of think about the two jerseys, you know, obviously the, the A's was a big part of a small part of my, of my career. And I learned a lot when I was there and, uh, met a lot of great people, played for a great manager. Um, but, you know, I think that the two jerseys are, are kind of, significant for me and and I would like to you know obviously kind of finish that out and and maybe maybe hopefully bring another world series here so second round pick of the Red Sox 2002 but 2006 uh, just on the outside looking in and getting to know you uh, pretty well that that was the benchmark year of your life in in every way right you made your major league debut uh, the cancer diagnosis as you look back on that time with a lot of distance now, um, what memories hit you more quickly than others, whether they're positive or negative? Uh, I mean, I think a lot. I mean, if you're talking about just that year specifically, um, I mean, there's a lot of memories in there as far as people. You know, I think the people that I got to meet uh, and and bring into my life that I owe. I owe a great debt of gratitude to, um, I mean, the list is too long to even, to even go through, but our, our team doctor there in Boston, Dr. Ronan was, was gosh, I mean, just unbelievable. Um, Dr. Friedman in Boston, my oncologist that, that I, I dealt with for a little bit. And then all the nurses there, um, Dr. Ollie press in, in, uh, at Fred Hutch in, uh, in Seattle, uh, is not only an unbelievable person for me personally, but for a lot of people. I mean, he's, he led, um, a lot of research at, at that hospital, uh, for lymphomas, especially. And, um, you know, I don't think a lot of people that have lymph or have had lymphoma, have lymphoma, uh, would be here, uh, if it wasn't for, for him, he did a lot of unbelievable research that led to a lot of, um, uh, it, it led to the, the cure of mine, uh, the, the, the certain type of, of treatment they were doing and in different drugs and in different ways. So the list goes on and on. And then, you know, obviously the baseball side of it, you know, I've having the, uh, the childhood dream come true of, of, you know, making it to the big leagues and, and doing okay and, and kind of holding your own. And then, you know, kind of having the rug swept out from underneath your feet and having a lot of unknowns after that. Um, but, you know, th those are a few memories early on for me. And I know you've raised, uh, you and Farah have raised a ton of money uh, through uh, Never Quit. 
And uh, as I've told you, every time I have a vote for the uh, Roberto Clemente Award, I put I put your name front and center. Um, and and I, I want I want to ask you about your relationship with Anthony Rizzo because you were one of those people for him. Uh, and and I think there are some Cub fans who may not actually remember or realize uh, that that your relationship with Anthony goes back to your your Red Sox days. Do, do you remember the conversations you had with him when he uh, went through what he did and and encouraging him and letting him know that he was going to be okay? Yeah, I mean, I, I remember that day. You know, I mean, I remember uh, a- Anthony likes to remind me that it was like three days I think before I ended up throwing my no hitter. So he, he still claims that <laughs> the no hitter was for him. Uh, I say otherwise, but, um, you know, that's just my opinion, but no, I, I, I give him a hard time about it, but no, I mean, I remember Tito calling me in, uh, when Anthony is his mom and his dad, and I think his brother was there. I'm pretty sure his brother was there, uh, came downstairs and he called me in the office and said, Hey, we got this kid in, in uh low a, you know, pretty big, pretty big prospect kid that, uh, just got diagnosed, had his first treatment up here in Boston. And, and, you know, w- would you mind just sitting down and talking to him? His family's got some questions. I said, yeah, no problem. Uh, I think we were in a rain delay and we were standing in the hall and I mean, H- Anthony was, gosh, he was white as a ghost, man. Like you could just tell that he had just gone through treatment and, and, and wasn't feeling a hundred percent. And, um, but mainly it was, it was just, it was talking to his dad and talking to his mom. I mean, I, I know for me, when I went through it, it was my parents asking more questions than me. And Riz, you know, asked a few questions like, you know, when can I start working out? Or how did you feel when you started working out? And, you know, what'd you do here? And what'd you do there? And, um, you know, I know one thing and, and I don't, I don't brag about a lot of things, but one thing that I do love that he says, and, and anytime he, he speaks on his, in his foundation, which is unbelievable. And, or he speaks to kids, he, he kind of steals some words from me, but I love it. And he tells everybody, you know, the best thing you can do is not sit there and sulk or woes me or wise me or all this other stuff is get out and still be a person as best you can. I mean, there's days where, you know, you can't physically do things or you don't, you feel nauseous or whatnot. You know, obviously those aren't the days, but the days that you feel good, I told Riz, go hit as much as you, as much as you feel good, you know, if it's 10 minutes, it's 10 minutes. You got, you took your mind off of what's going on for 10 minutes. Just live your life. And I just, I remember when I was going through my deal, the, the going to a river and fishing, it was like that, that took my mind off of everything. And, um, but yeah, I mean, that was, that was some stuff that really stuck with him. Um, and then he, and then he faints, uh, he, he falls over in the hallway. So we, we pick him up, we get him into Tito's office and, you know, we sat there and talked for probably about another hour, hour and a half to, and I talked to his dad and his mom and, um, you know, it was just, it was obviously concerned parents and, um, you know, all Tony can, all Tony cared about was, you know, when, when can I start playing baseball again, which, you know, you have that kind of the end goal, uh, at the, at the, or that light at the end of the tunnel, you know, you, you, you have something to strive for. So, you know, I think that, that helped me, it helped him, um, but yeah, man, just this young, innocent kid that, you know, same thing, just had, had that rug, you know, pulled out from underneath him. And, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm thankful that it worked out for him. And, and obviously now look at him, he's, he's doing incredible things on and off the field. So as we move ahead, uh, 
you mentioned your, your time with the Red Sox. Uh, I love Jeff Passan's book, The Arm, and my favorite chapter was uh, Your Free Agency. And I'm curious to know, and this is the unanswerable question, but I'm going to get meta on you here. If John Lester were still with the Red Sox and you had spent your entire career there, as opposed to what actually occurred, uh, you go to Oakland and then you sign with the Cubs. Would you be a different person than you are today? How did the changes getting traded and then picking a team change you as a person, if at all? Uh, I don't know about a, about a person. I think it changes you, changes your mentality. You know, I think when you when when I was going through the the free agency stuff, when, when I've you know I was drafted by him, raised by him, brought up to the big leagues by him. You know, I had. I had family, you know, like Tito was family to me. He took care of me. John Henry was more than beyond gracious with uh, helping us, my family get, you know, from Seattle to Boston, the treatments, you know, the way they, they, they took care of me at a young age and then kind of groomed me up through to free agency. You know, I, when you get to that point, you, you start questioning, well, I don't know if I can play for another team. You know, you start wondering, well, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if I can perform over there. I don't know what I can do. Um, the best thing that I say now, looking back on it, the best thing that ever happened to me was being traded. Um, because I think if that season plays out, I go to free agency and I sign with the Cubs. I not only have the unknown of playing for Chicago and, and the city and, and the Cubs and, you know, new team, teammates, manager, all this stuff. I don't know if I can play here. I don't know. I've never played for anybody but Boston. So them trading me to Oakland, it's like, oh, okay, now I've got, now I go to a whole nother coast. Um, you know, you're playing a whole different division, a whole different deal. And it's like, oh yeah, I can do this. Like it, I'm, I'm still getting big league hitter out, hitters out, you know, like we had, we had just faced the Royals in Boston, maybe two or three re weeks before I get traded and I get traded out there and I'm facing the Royals. So it's like, Oh, okay. It, it, it almost was like meant to be, you know what I mean? Like it, it was just like a, a sign to me that, Oh, I just face these guys. I know I've already got a game plan. I know what I'm doing. And it, I just put a different uniform on. So leading into free agency, it's like, I know, they put me in one of the worst situations that they could put me in as far as sending me all the way to Oakland. Uh, you know, I got to get my family out there. I got to do all this stuff and find a place to live. You know, we had a house in Boston. We had all this comfortability in the, in Boston. And um, to get out there, you're like, oh, God, it's like you get hit in the face. And then all of a sudden, I got to try to get people out in a pennant race. So I think the best thing that ever happened to me, that, I mean, that made me grow up in a, in a, in a mental way. Uh, as far as, okay, I know if I go to a different team, it's just baseball. And it's a mental hurdle that you almost need to kind of get over. And that, for me, that was the best thing that happened to me, uh, looking back on how everything has worked out. It's pretty amazing when you think about the, the mind of an athlete. At such a high level, you had so much success in Boston. Uh, but here you were, you still had those doubts where you weren't sure, you know, how you would perform elsewhere. And obviously it uh, – <laughs> it's proven that you could pitch anywhere. Uh, my question is, so the decision, to, you know, to come to the Cubs, the free agency process, um, 
kind of take us through that. You know, what are the clubs you were considering? Uh, were there sleepless nights? So what was that whole situation like? Uh, it, it wasn't. There was no. There was no sleepless nights, but it was stressful. Um, you know, at first it was cool. You know, like the, the the Red Sox come down, they they fly in, and it's the the whole crew, and um, you know, they're they're like they're trying to ooh and awe you, and it, uh, about the organization. I'm like, guys, you can't surprise me with anything. I mean, I know what <laughs> I've been here for how long, um, but no, it was it was cool to go through that, and then um, I want to say we went to Chicago next. Can't remember if. San Francisco came in to the house as well. Buster Posey drove up. He was he was living in I think Bainbridge, which is a couple hour drive from here. And he came up and and sat down with Boach and um, I'm trying to think of uh, the the uh, Evans uh, the Bobby, Bobby Evans Bobby Evans and yep. then one other guy I can't remember anyway. And then one of the owners. Uh, so it was just cool to like for me that was cool like to see what the owners had to say, what the, the general managers and the vice presidents and then the manager. And then now you got Buster Posey sitting here, you know, before that, you know, he, I was, I had only won uh, two world series. He's won three. So you're kind of like, oh, okay, like this is, um, this is cool, you know? So to, 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 to have that and then to fly to Chicago, it was a, God almighty, it was a rough day for us as far as travel, getting up there. Um, we finally get there. It messes up all the plans for, for, uh, Mr. Ricketts and, and him being there. He had a recital for his daughter. He had to be at, but he comes to dinner after. Um, and that was just awesome to be a part of that. Like to see, you know, the Wrigley plans, the, uh, the, the, the baseball ops plans, the, uh, just everything involved with, what was going on. And I, I'm not sure if Joe was hired by then when I did that, when I, when I did this. So, um, you know, and okay. So you do do that. And these are kind of the three main teams that are involved. There's some other teams that are, that are somewhat involved. And, and I met, I met with the Braves here in Atlanta, um, with John Hart. Um, and did you go into it with a team in mind did you have any preconceived notions of where you might end up? I think for, for me, there was a few teams. There was, there was always, you know, I think when you play for Boston, there's always kind of that uh, allure of, you know, what about the Yankees? You know, mm-hmm. like, what are they going to do? You know, what, what, what's going to happen here? And, and one, of, one of my all-time idols is, is CC Sabathia, and I'm like, gosh, it would be awesome to play, you know, a pitch with CC And, um, you know, but then you kind of have to throw some cold water on your face. Like, oh, I can't do that. I've played for the Red Sox for so long or, you know, whatever. But – Going into it, I think it was, you know, it, you always kind of lean towards the bigger market teams. Uh, obviously, the Braves were here, were, were for me a, a choice just being here. Uh, the Red Sox, obviously. Chicago had already been kind of on my radar. Um, you know, I, I, remember, I remember asking a few people, I won't name names, but I don't want to get anybody in trouble. I remember asking people about Chicago along the, the long that year. Um, uh, after, especially after I got traded, uh, the giants for me were always kind of a, uh, a sleeper and for them to be involved was, was really pulled at me just because of their winning, you know, just Mm -hmm. the, the guys, I mean, it's all a lot of homegrown guys, um, you know, awesome ballpark when you're there, 
um, you know, just a lot of cool things that kind of draw you, draw you to them. The Rangers were always kind of a, kind of an interesting thing for me. I just, I've always liked Texas. I've always liked that stadium and now they're getting a new one. But, uh, so there's a few, there's a few, not to, not to go too in depth with all this stuff, but you know, you really don't know until people start making phone calls and, 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 you know, your whole, your whole list changes if that team that you really like doesn't call. And, um, you know, I was very fortunate to have, um, I, I was I was very fortunate to have have awesome teams, uh, awesome franchises. Let's say that uh, interested, and and I felt very honored that uh, that these teams were were after me. Um, you know, obviously it came down the Giants after playing out there. Just kind of realized we didn't like being out there on the West Coast, um, but you know their their offer was was very substantial. Um, and then, you know, it really came down to, I mean, I'll be completely honest with you guys. It came down, it, it always was between the Cubs and the Red Sox. And, and obviously, you know how that, that whole thing worked out. So, well, you've been called uh, the greatest free agent signing in, in Cubs history and arguably in Chicago sports history. And I don't think that's hyperbole. And it's really hard to, to, to sign a guy like you to the deal the Cubs did and have it play out exactly the way it has. I know you appreciate that, and I think Cubs fans appreciate that. But as you know, John, because you follow the league, typically when guys get to their late 20s, early 30s, uh, essentially the contract they sign is for what they have already done. And in a lot of cases, that performance starts to ebb a little bit. You you did not. Uh, in, in some ways, you got better. And I will also give you credit for this. While the Cubs were really good with John Lester in uniform, they were not very good before you got here. So it was a leap of faith on your part. You know, you talked about big markets and all that stuff. You didn't sign with the team that had the best chance to win. The Giants, as you said, I mean, they had won the World Series uh, a few times. Uh, and, I, and I believe uh, the year they talked to you, that would have been the easy choice from a baseball perspective. So I, I have to give you a lot of credit for that leap of faith. Well, I mean, I think there was a lot of other people involved to help that leap. You know, I mean, when you when you sit in a room and you look at the 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 amount of talent that they that the Cubs had coming, and we've seen it now, um, and, and the amount of money that was being freed up, that was being stored for Theo to to use and 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 create this atmosphere. Um, you know, I think for me, it was not only sitting in that meeting and listening to Tom and listening to Theo and Jed and and all these guys talk about the future of the of the Chicago Cubs. It was my relationship with Theo. You know, I remember in two thousand and uh, spring of two thousand nine, Theo calls me and says, "Can I stop by your house real quick?" I said, "Yeah, we've been working on my, my first contract with with the Red Sox," and you know, he, he comes in, sits down, we sit down at the kitchen table and there's a few things that kept just getting hung up on with the contract. And so we sat there across from each other and we had a, we had a man to man conversation, conversation, nothing escalated, nothing, um, you know, beating around the bush, just very truthful. This is what I want. This is what he wants. Okay. Well, how do we meet in the middle of this? We got it done. Boom, signed the dotted line later that night, and, and we moved on. So 
I feel like that conversation right there that day really opened up for our conversations leading into this free agency. And, you know, one thing that I wanted people to know, and I don't know, I hope I got the message across when, when, when uh, we had the, the, the kind of the signing uh, media day was there, there's, there's two things that you can always, you all fans should always know they're going to get from me effort and the will to win. And I want to win more than anybody on that field. And you better know that I've put in the preparation to get to that point. And that's all to me, that's living up to the contract. And I, I don't think in our game, um, you know, we're, we're very, very fortunate as players and owners and people involved in this game at the level of, of um, uh, I just lost the word I'm looking for, but just the, the way that we are taken care of as far as financially to get to play a game. And I, I know that sometimes people don't believe that I actually enjoy what I do, but it is the most fun thing. I get more excitement, more enjoyment, enjoyment out of what I do than anybody I think will ever uh, possibly experience and when you you sign a deal like this my agent told me about I think this is why I had finally turned my my shit around in in uh, 2015 and after April he said stop stop trying to pitch to live up to the full contract every pitch you throw you're never going to do it start pitching for each pitch and it finally dawned on me that I'm trying to go out there and play six years worth of baseball on every single pitch I threw. And it's physically and mentally impossible to do that. And once I, I stepped back and said, all right, I'm going to worry about winning each individual pitch that I can win. And from there, I ended up, I think for me, 2015, other than my win-loss record, was probably a better year than 2016 even though my ERA doesn't quite say that I got off to such a bad start, I couldn't get good at, get it down to where I did in 16. Cause I got off to a great start in 16. Um, but if you look at the other numbers, I think 15 for me was, was actually a better year. I, I know you enjoy the game, but uh, you reminded me of something JD told me a long time ago, JD, you said the game is really hard. It's not always fun. <laughs> You're yeah. trying no, to get people no out. No, yeah. No, it's being, my point of view is, you know, being a player is fun. Being a part of it is fun, but the game itself is hard work. Oh, it's humbling. I mean, it's, it, it really is. I mean, think about this. I mean, JD, we're on the good side. You know, we're on the, we're on the positive side We're our game isn't built on failure. Look at, look at the hitters. Mm-hmm. I mean, a great hitter fails out of 10 at bats. He fails seven times. That's a great hitter. And so you're you're dragging your bat back to the dugout seven out of ten times, but you have to somehow look at those three positives. You know, so our game is built on just beating your head against the wall. And it's such a beautiful game, though. And that's why there's a lot of things that they're trying to change that is going to take away from the beautiful part of our game. And... It's just, it's frustrating sometimes, but, but like you said, man, like you can be on the greatest run that you've ever been on. And all of a sudden you can just flat out, just get punched in the face. And for the next five starts, you can't, you can't get anybody out. Like I couldn't get Hudson out my son. Like 
you you could put you could put a the 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 ten year old little league Williamsport team out there, and you're you're getting whacked around the field. It's just the game, you know. It's the same as as hitting. You can that ball could look like a beach ball coming up there, and you can, you know, ass out, hit a ball to left for a double, you know, pull the ball for a homer, and all of a sudden you're getting the balls down the middle, and you're swinging and missing at them. It's just a, it's a game that 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 brings you up and down so much, and that's why I always talk about. At the beginning of spring training, and I can't remember who told me this at an early age, it's like they always compared the season to a roller coaster, you know? So you want your roller coaster to be part of the kiddie side of Disneyland. You don't want you don't want to be on the Six Flags side where you're going up and down loopy loops and and having to deal with that. You want the season that that is that kiddie of up and you know, just in ebbs and flows of yeah, you go through stretches where you stink, but you also go through stretches where you're really, really good on a team level. And you don't want those seven, eight, nine, ten game losing streaks. You want, hey, we're going to win five in a row. We lose one. Now we're back to winning three or four in a row. We're losing. One. You know what I mean? So you're doing that. You're not, you're not winning two, losing three. You know, and just it, it just jumping up and down so much. And that's when you're able to have the seasons that are on the kitty side of the of the Disneyland then you're usually at the end, you're looking up and you're like, God, we got 92 wins and we're right here fighting for the wild card or fighting for the division or whatever. So, man, it's just, it, like you said, JD, it's such a hard game, man. It's just, it's humbling. It's, it's, but it's, it's an awesome, awesome experience to be a part of. And that's such a good metaphor. I think going forward, whenever you take the mound or maybe your walk-up music when you hit, should be a, it's a small world after all. Oh God, no. That be, oh yeah. God, no. No. I think you ought to embrace that. Even, when we go to Disney World, I won't even walk to that part of the, the, the damn <laughs> park. I can't stand that. <laughs> I'm with you. Uh, John, you've been so uh, uh, generous with your time. And look, we haven't talked about the World Series in 16, but we're going to save that for part two the next time uh, we chat with you. I've got two last things for you. Mm-hmm. And uh, they're, they're the toughest questions of the day. And I saved them for last just to warm you up. So we're going to have the real uncomfortable conversation. Are you ready? Yeah. Hall of Fame. I know you don't want to talk about it. But um, if you want me to give you, because you know me, I'll always give you the statistical truth as I see it. Do you want me to lay out your case? Uh, You can. (laughs) (laughs) Not that you have a choice, right? Yeah, right. So I think Kurt Schilling is a Hall of Famer. And I think he'll eventually get in. So if you can pitch about three or four more years, your numbers are going to look very close to Kurt Schilling. I think you got to get over 200 wins. You're 10 away. Uh, that is very reachable. Um, but you're in the conversation. I, I don't know if you've given it any thought. Um, I would imagine every baseball player has to think about it. Uh, what are your thoughts? Um, my thoughts are this. I think that up until this point, I've been – unbelievably lucky to be a part of a lot of great teams and a lot of unbelievable success. Um, I look at it as if at the end of the day, when it's all said and done and, you know, whether it's Rossi as my manager or, or whoever it is comes in there and has to pull that Jersey off my back. If people think that my work is worthy of that, you will make the make me the happiest person in the world. But until that point comes, 
it's uh it's kind of one of those things len where i don't i don't play for that so i don't want it to be a focus for me um i think when i'm done like i said I, you, you know i always i always evaluate each season i don't evaluate a career i evaluate my seasons after each and um you know this conversation's come up with family and and friends and and agents and obviously you guys and um i i think when 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 you get your hopes up is when the the greatest letdowns happen i i guess is is kind of what i want to say i think i've poured my heart and soul into this game um and if i am rewarded for that great but i have been this game has given me so much uh joy and and happiness and competitiveness and and experiences and lessons and um that if if it's not meant to be it's not meant to be um you know i i think like i said man if if my name if my name's read off you know on on one of those ballots and and i'm fortunate enough to be a part of that 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 that'll be a conversation for for that day and um there'll be a lot of a lot of joy involved with that for sure great answer i knew you that's how you would answer it diplomatic Terribly unfair question on my part. That's all right. (laughs) All right. The title of our podcast is General Admission. And our last question is going to be fun. It can be as trivial or serious a thought as you want. But essentially, John, I want you to admit to us an opinion, preference, or interest you hold that you think most people, maybe your wife, would find embarrassing. For example, you never saw Shawshank Redemption, or you love uh, Joe Exotic's mullet, something like that. Um, I'm sure you've been watching a lot of Netflix. Is there like a band or a show that you love that everybody else hates, or if there's somebody you hate that everybody else loves? Oh, man. You put me on the spot on yeah. this. Yeah. Is that Britney Spears all over your playlist? or? <laughs> I'll tell you what she used to be when yeah. I was in high school, mm-hmm. or whenever she came out. I, she, you better believe she was yeah. on there. We didn't have playlists back then, though, JD. We had we had uh, cassette tapes. That's right. Or no, we had. Uh, I think that the, was, we had CDs. You were probably in the CD area. Yeah. Yeah. Um, gosh, I'm trying to think. I I am pretty impressed with with Joe Exotic's mullet, though. I mean, that thing has got to take some time. Um, <laughs> That'll work. That'll work as a general admission. Uh, I'm trying. Yeah. To, I'm trying to think, though. I'm trying to think of something. I don't know when you when you put you on the spot. Like if you would have right. told me this before, you right. know, maybe I could have come up with something. But right, right. Um, um, I'm trying to think. Like, is there a like? I don't like peanut butter, which nobody can believe. But I have a friend who hates pizza. I'm like, how can you hate pizza? Really? So there's, there's um, like, is there like a no, common like, food that you just don't like or something? Food, food for me is uh, that's not a problem. Food, me and food get along just fine. Um. I'll take Joe, I'll take Joe Exotic. I envision tomorrow. John. I envision you. You've probably got a big smoker in the backyard, right? With a, I can see you with an apron and a big slab of ribs, just getting after it. <laughs> Actually, Jay, you're you're hitting the nail on the head because that's what I was doing earlier. I, I was getting the the. I got my egg ready. I'm doing some ribs right now. Oh, so baby. we're about. Uh, I don't know if you heard my alarm go off. I was I was supposed to go and and spray him with some apple juice. Oh uh, no, Len! Len, we're ruining dinner. 
Go go get no, after no, it, John. It's not it's not it's not, not going to hurt him that bad. I'll do it here in a minute. But I'm I'm an hour. Where what are we? We're an hour, almost two hours in. I got to go get the the uh, aluminum foil ready. I got to throw some butter, uh, some honey, and some brown sugar on them and wrap them back up here for mm. another two hours. So. That sounds That's good. what I've been doing today. Yeah, I mean, I'm salivating. John, thank, <laughs> thank you so much for the time. Uh, you are our first guest on this podcast. We hope it lasts a long time, but uh, you're number one in our hearts. We really appreciate it. Yeah, no problem, guys. Thanks for having me. Thanks, John. Really interesting conversation with John Lester. Uh, JD, uh, any big takeaways from what John had to say? You know, I, I just thought it was very thoughtful. I'm not surprised that he would be. He's probably the most right-handed, left-handed person I know. You know, lefties, we tend to be flaky and eccentric and goofy. And uh, and I'm sure there's a little bit in there with John, but he's a very thoughtful, very smart guy. Um, I, I thought his take on, on the Hall of Fame was, was very interesting. Uh, I loved him talking about uh, all the sports he played as a kid. I mean, we talked about it with him, how... Uh, so many kids now focus on, you know, one sport and he played a little bit of everything, was uh, a good basketball player, an outstanding soccer player, and obviously a, a great uh, baseball player. So he dabbled in everything and that, that was really interesting. And I just, I just loved him, you know, talking about his time with Anthony Rizzo and, uh, and then going through the whole free agency uh, piece of it. In terms of uh, the way this podcast will work, on the back end of our interview, if there's any big news of that particular week, we will uh, delve in. And uh, Right now, J.D., there isn't a whole lot of news around baseball, aside from about every day we get another idea of some sort of uh, scheduling plan. Uh, I'm choosing to kind of wait until something is official. I think a lot of these ideas uh, are floated out there. But as you heard John uh, early on in the podcast, he's not even making any sort of plans uh, to start working out in earnest until he gets an official date. Yeah, and that's understandable. You know, he talked about not wanting to waste any bullets at this point of his career. You know, he doesn't want to be out there throwing max effort bullpens um, when we might not be playing real baseball for, for quite some time. So I think that's probably what most guys are doing, keeping their bodies in shape, maybe backing off the baseball activity a little bit. And like the rest of us, they're reading the newspaper and looking online and um, looking at all these different plans that get floated out there. For my money, the one that I think is most likely, most doable would be the, the one that was most recently uh, put out there. I think it was Bobby Nightingale in the USA Today had this three division, three um, 10 team divisions, East, Central and West. Uh, I, I think right now that's probably the most palatable option. Are you of the mindset of if we have, you know, a season of 80 to 100 games or even less than that, that we do need, for lack of a better word, a, a gimmick in changing the leagues and all of that stuff, as opposed to if we can play home games in our home ballparks without fans to start, why wouldn't you just keep the divisions lined up the same way and have East play East, West, West, Central, Central? In other words, geographically, the AL and NL Centrals do match up pretty well. Would you rather do that or go to the three-division, 10-team idea? Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm, you know I mean, I'm intrigued by the 10-team the because it does create a little different uh, wrinkle, and I think there would be some intrigue and some interesting matchups there. Um, there may be more integrity in the schedule if you stay within – your traditional division. Um, there's a chance that gets a little stale, I guess. Um, and, and I think um, 
probably the, the, the bigger question is what, what travel uh, restrictions would be in place and what would be the easiest travel to make happen if you, you know, it seems to me, and I guess this is where you're going, that if you've just played the teams in the NL Central, it would be easier than the proposed 10-team Central Division. Um, I, I'm not sure, but I, I, frankly, Len, uh, if they play baseball of any kind, I'm, I'm in. <laughs> Whatever it looks like, I'm in. Yep, I agree. All right, time for our first general admission. And as you heard us with John, it's essentially admitting something that you might not want to say out loud. J.D., you go first. Well, um, <laughs> I don't know if this is an admission, but it struck me earlier today that I've eaten more bologna sandwiches during this lockdown than I did oh. in the previous 25 years. Uh, wow. And I've, I've become reacquainted with the bologna sandwich. And I got to tell you, it's 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 OK. But, you know, that stuff lasts forever. So it's the <laughs> ideal pandemic food. Now, will you ever do the fried bologna? I used to do that when I was a kid. Yeah, yeah, we we did do the the the, the fried bologna back in the day, and uh, I think I've told you stories about playing um, baseball with the Hogan'sburg Chiefs out on a, a reservation uh, up near my hometown when I was in high school and college, and the owner of our team was a native by the name of well owner for lack of a better word was a fellow by the name of Barney Rourke, and he, he always called fried bologna Indian steak. And uh, so when, when you mentioned fried bologna, uh, my good my good buddy Barney Rourke came to mind. My general admission is the crown just didn't do it for me. I know everybody loved it. I love the story of the Royals. Got through the first season. It just was too slow. Have you watched The Crown? It is slow. We 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 have we've we've gone through each season so far. Um, we we're into the British stuff, Len. We mm-hmm. um, you know we we watch Line of Duty, which is a British cop show. We just finished uh, Last Tango in Halifax, which is kind of a British drama slash. I don't know if you really call it a comedy, but there's a decent amount of humor in there. So I feel like I'm taking. English, English as a second language, because I'm learn, learning all the uh, cuss words and trying to figure out what exactly they translate to in, in U.S. And I throw a couple out here, but, you know, some are more tame than others. I'm just not sure what they mean. <laughs> all right. Well, I may have to give the crown a second chance. Well, that'll do it uh, for the uh, initial uh, the maiden voyage of general admission. Special thanks to Matt Remito, Daniel Green, Big Jim Obojkowicz and Joe Rios. And for J.D., I'm Len. Make sure you subscribe, rate, review, and share this podcast with all your friends. We will talk to you next week on General Admission. Hey, Rob Bradford here. You guys know I'm always up for a good MVP story, and one of the best stories is Wasabi Technology. Wasabi is the world's hottest cloud storage company, and it's become the go-to provider for professional and collegiate sports teams, including 20 major league baseball teams like the Red Sox and NHL teams like the Bruins and Vancouver Canucks. Even the Liverpool Football Club is getting in on the Wasabi action. So why is Wasabi the MVP? Well, Wasabi was purpose-built to free businesses from skyrocketing storage costs and unpredictable transaction fees that the Amazons of 
the world are charging. In fact, Wasabi is up to 80% less than those hyperscalers and doesn't charge a cent for businesses to access their data. From Wasabi's AI-enabled intelligent media storage, Wasabi Air, to the industry's only cloud storage service with triple protection against cyber criminals, data deletion, and ransomware, Wasabi's taking the lead in driving innovation in data storage and helping sports teams to unleash the power of their data. Wasabi, another Boston-based championship team.